is seven o'clock good evening everybody we are here to start our um our i think it's our sixth class now in jewish philosophy that is been de- going to be dealing with the question of olam haba now this is something just so we can appreciate what the goal of this course is the goal of this course is to explain jewish philosophy now jewish philosophy um like halacha is 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 a myriad of different opinions so as much as we like to think that halacha is pretty black and white, that it's, uh, it's permissible, it's prohibited, you're allowed to do it, you're not allowed to do it, the reality is in so many areas of halacha, there are different opinions. And even though when it comes to practical law, we're going to have to paskin, we're going to have to rule like a particular opinion one way or the other. But the reality is, is that there are multiple opinions that can disagree, you know, completely, uh, completely with a particular opinion. So some one person will say black and the other one will say white. So when it comes to halacha, we're going to have to pask in black or white, but at least that idea exists that there are multiple opinions. In the world of Jewish philosophy, it seems that somehow the Jewish world has uh, allowed itself to go into a singular way of thinking about things. Maybe in halacha to a certain degree as well, but I think in halacha, we see different people doing different things. We see some people dressed in certain ways, like so if we look at Pesach, some people will eat, uh, uh, what's it called, egg matzah. Some people won't eat egg matzah. Some people will eat kabrochts, uh, they dip in their matzah in, in liquids. Some people won't. So we see that. When it comes to philosophy, since philosophy almost never has any practical outcome, it's, a, it's, it's usually about belief rather than action, and the idea that there are lots of different opinions of people that disagree with one another is something we don't always get to see. So if I were to say to you, what is, <coughs> what is heaven in Judaism? So my guess is many people would have a, an opinion of some form or another. But what happens is that it's, there's, there's not going to be a consensus within the Jewish world exactly what heaven is. Now, that being said, is we're dealing with all questions of, of eschatological nature, meaning the, the end of time and the end of the world or the world to come. Um, most of this is going to be dealing with the world of the hypothetical because we don't know. So what happens when you die? So anybody who tells you that they know what happens when you die is wrong. And anyone who's going to be teaching a, a class and saying, when you die, this is what's going to happen. Gee, it's, 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 it's a very bold statement because there are multiple opinions of what exactly is going to happen. And this is not only about Ulam uh, Abba, but it's going to be with some of the topics that we're talking about, about uh, the Mashiach. What is Mashiach going to look like? How's it going to work? So there's no singular opinion on that. Tchiatamaiti, resurrection of the dead, what that's going to look like. Also going to be multiple different opinions and so on and so forth. So this week we're going to be talking about Ulam <coughs> Abba, which I'm just going to say it in a... In a um, uh, it's not really true, but let's call it heaven. Because I think what we're going to be talking about is the idea that what, where do you go when you die? And I think that is the, uh, the term that we're going to talk about, olam haba. The literal term olam haba means uh, the world that is to come. So, interestingly enough, nowhere in the Torah does the term olam haba ever mentioned. Um, it, the idea that there's olam haba has no no literal statement in the text so the Talmud tries uh, time and time again to find different sources that uh, allude um, albeit metaphorically to Olam Abba. for example um, just before we sing the song of the seas it says Az Yashir Moshe B'nei Israel." then so after the song it should have said after it they sang but it says in the future they will sing so what is that in the future they will sing um, after Yaakov meets Esav, um, after the 20-year hiatus, 
Um, Yaakov says to Esav, you go ahead and I will meet you in Seir one day. And he never goes to Seir. So the commentary say that is reference to the, the future times in the, in the Messianic eras or later. So there's no explicit um, statement that there is Olam Haba. But that being said is that um, it's no question that throughout uh, Jewish literature, both in the prophetic works much more uh, literally in the, in the prophets, and we'll see some of those writings today, definitely there's a reference to um, a time where things will be different to the way they are now. Um, but whether that time is going to be in this world or in the next is something that uh, is to be seen. So let's start with it. So uh, our starting point of departure this evening is going to be a, a Talmudic statement in Brachot. The Gemara in Brachot says as follows. Rav said, the world to come is not like this world. In the world to come, there's no eating, no drinking, no procreation, no business negotiations, no jealousy, no hatred, and no competition. Rather, the righteous sit with crowns on their heads, enjoying the splendor of the divine presence, as it's stated, and they beheld God, and they ate and drank, meaning that beholding God's countenance is tantamount to eating and drinking. Now, that's a, that's a, a big statement. So let's just... Uh, unpack it a little bit the verse that it's quoting over here and they beheld god and ate and drank comes um, just after the uh, revelation at sinai and what happens over there is it says that the pro the um, the elders went with moshe and yoshua they all went up the mountain and they ate and they drank now the way that uh, the gemara is explaining it is not that they literally ate and drank because as they say in the world to come there's no eating and no drinking rather basking in the presence of the divine you know enjoying the splendor of the divine presence so what does that mean that means that the being in the presence of hashem will satiate us in a way like eating and drinking does so when it says that moses went up to mount sinai for 40 days and 40 nights he didn't eat and he didn't drink why because he was in the divine presence and when you're in the divine presence and you have this experience so there is no eating and drinking now that seems, if you read that quite superficially, it says, all right, the world to come, there's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no procreation, there's no business negotiation. All of this is, seems to allude to a very non-physical existence. So you can look at one of two ways, and this is going to be the two major thoughts in, in, in Jewish philosophy. Is it talking about a spiritual existence? So therefore, there's no eating, no drinking, no uh, procreation, no jealousy, no hatred, because there's no physicality. It is a complete spiritual existence. Or is it going to be talking about a different kind of physical existence that ordinarily, so when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, he doesn't become a ghost. He doesn't become a, a spirit. He's a human. But while he's up there for 40 days, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. Why? <coughs> because his existence changed while he was up there. And that's what Olam Abba is. Olam Abba is not a matter of a non-physical existence as much as a different kind of physical existence. Okay? So that's, I've just like let the cat out of the bag. That's, that's the class that we're going to be talking about. But let's look into it a little bit more in the sources uh, starting with the Rambam. So almost every Jewish class on philosophy is going to start and finish with the Rambam because he is definitely the most well-known and in most areas... Um, the most uh, widely held and agreed with philosopher in Judaism, not in all areas, but in many. So he says, and he brings us in the laws of repentance, he says as follows, The hidden good in store for the righteous is life in the world to come, a life connected with no death and a kind of good connected with no evil. 
The world to come harbors neither body nor hint of concrete form. Now that is different from the Gemara. No concrete form. It says there's no physicality. Save only the souls of the righteous divested of body are the, uh, as are the ministering angels. Meaning that when a person goes to Olam Haba, there is no physicality whatsoever. It is much as it harbors no concrete forms. There's no need for eating or drinking. Why the bodily necessities, the sons of man as well. So when you die, you go to Olam Haba and there's no physicality at all. It is a spiritual existence. Neither will any uh, of the many things which happen to bodies in this world come to pass there. For instance, sitting down, standing up, sleep, death, sadness, mirth, or the like. None of the things that we as physical beings um, need to do um, will happen. It is clear that no body exists there. <coughs> it is completely a spiritual existence. So then you say, oh, well, hold on a second. So what is the meaning of the phrase? And they were indulging and feasting upon the luminousness of the Shekhinah. So that's what we read earlier, that they're going to bask in it. And it, there are statements throughout the Talmud that talk about the physicality of, of, of the world to come. It talks about we're going to sit with crowns on our heads and we're going to uh, bask and we're going to eat the divine presence. I think there are statements that talk about eating from the flesh of the Leviathan and, and, the, and the pleasures of the world to come. So he says, it is that which they know and attain in part of truth of the holy blessed be he, some that do not know while on the dark low body. I says it is, he doesn't say this clearly here, but he says the answer is, this is metaphor. He says to understand that the Torah and the Talmud use a lot of metaphor to explain what the world to come is going to be. So if they use a physical description like the sages sitting with crowns on their heads, it doesn't mean that they're going to be a bunch of rabbis in heaven sitting with crowns on their head. There's no physicality. So the whole concept of physicality is, uh, is fine. Now, parenthetically, the Rambam talks about it in, uh, in another one of his works. So this is in his uh, uh, halachic work, but in his, one of his philosophical works, he talks about the difference between Jewish heaven and Arab heaven, which he calls Arab uh, heaven. Now, I don't know if it's Islamic. I assume it's Islamic. But the idea that their heaven has a lot of physical connotations of, of, of physical pleasures and Jewish heaven does not. Ah, so as the Rambam says, even though at times we might talk about physical pleasures, but those are all metaphors. And this is quite consistent with the Rambam in general, because the Rambam regularly will talk in the Torah about different elements of the Torah that are, should be understood much more metaphoric than literal. So for example, talking snake in the Garden of Eden or Bilam's talking donkey. So the Rambam, he, he copped a lot of flack for this, but said that these should never be understood as literal. These were metaphors to try to teach ideas. So that the Rambam was the ultimate rationalist and therefore he says that uh, <coughs> anytime it has a, a physical reference in the world to come, it is purely metaphor. So he says, why is it called the world to come? He says, it's not because it is not in existence. Because that life comes to man after the life of this world, when we exist within a body and soul, and life is to be found by man first. Meaning that, why is it called Olam Haba? So it's like the world to come, that one day there will be this world. No, the world exists, it's just you will come into that world. That's the intent. So according to the Ramba, and, and this is going to be quite, con uh, we're going to come back to this in future classes. But it sounds like you're in this world for your 120 years and then you die 
and you go to Olam Abba. And what's Olam Abba? It's a completely spiritual existence. A spiritual existence that there's no physical needs whatsoever, and you the the you bask in the in the uh, in the the divine glow. That is what Olam Abba is. Now, what exactly that means, I don't know, but it's very clear from the Rambam. That's it. That's the show. So there's the continuum is very clear. You live in this world until you die, and then you go into heaven, and that's it. That's the story. So there's no place for um, coming back from the dead as we understand it. Um, <coughs> so uh, we always we talk about Tchiatamaitim. People often talk about uh, the, the resurrection of the dead in a very physical sort of tales from a crypt kind of idea that there are going to be bodies being exhumed or crawling out of the graves and coming back to life. The Rambam does not hold like that. He believes in Tchiatamaitim. It's one of the 13 Ikrim. But... And the, the, the commentaries uh, fight the Rambam on that. It sounds like for him, the resurrection of the dead is a spiritual concept, not a physical concept. And even though the messianic era will be something in this world, it is not in Olam Abba. There's an, so it's not that there's a Olam Abba with the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is in this world. Why? Because the Messiah is physical and Olam Abba is completely spiritual. So that's the Rambam's understanding. My guess is... Well, it says, my understanding, <coughs> how most people would understand uh, the uh, the way that this system works is that it was like, you die and then you go to heaven and then you come back and then you alive again and then you go into heaven again at some point. So, so that's the way the Rambam understands it. The other opinion, which is, um, I'm going to quote here, in the name of Rav Yosef Albo, who wrote a book, the Sefei Karim, but he is not quoting him, this is not, his opinion. He actually he he subscribes to the Rambam's opinion, but he quotes another opinion called by the Ramban Nachmanides, and he says as follows: The second opinion is that though the perfectly righteous get material reward in this world, since their number is small and the great majority of righteous men do not get corporeal reward in this world, there should be a next world, physical as well as spiritual. Reward. There's these. We people don't get everything they. We we sacrifice a lot of the pleasures in this world. We don't get all the benefits of the physical world, and that's not fair because we want spirituality, but we also want physical benefit. Says that so. So in Olamava says the Ramban, (coughs) there needs to be physical as well as spiritual world. This comes, they say, after the resurrection, when the soul and the body will exist in conjunction, but without food and without drink. As Moses lived 40 days and 40 nights with body and soul without eating and drinking. Meaning that you will die, then something will happen, and we'll talk about it in a second, and then you will come back. You will be resurrected. And in that resurrected state, you will be a physical being in a much more spiritual state. So you can have physical benefits in this world. But you will not eat and drink. Why? Because the same as Moses went up Mount Sinai in 40 days and 40 nights, he did not eat and drink. So too, we will all be on that status. It says, this is what, according to them, the rabbis call the world to come. When they say concerning the righteous that they are prepared for the life of the world to come, they believe at the same time that the human soul does not die when the body dies. But there's a stage of existence called Gan Eden. So now the Rambam the Ramban is introducing a new concept here, which so often we, we think is synonymous. So you're going, he's in Gan Aden. So what is Gan Aden? 
So Gan, the original Gan Eden was the Garden of Eden with Adam and Chava. But when we say the Gan Eden here, Menuchato, which is uh, in in Gan Eden, it will be his resting place, as we say in every memorial prayer. What does that mean? So according to the Ramban, that doesn't mean in heaven. That means in this transit state. What is transit state? Immediately after death, the souls of the righteous are kept until they rise in resurrection and obtain the life in the world to come of the resurrection. So, according to the Ramban, what happens? We live in this world 120 years. We die. Well, then what happens? We go to Gun Aden. Where, where is Gun Aden? So, Gun Aden is called a number of different things in uh, different literatures. <coughs> Gun Aden, Tachet Kisei HaKavod, like a whole bunch of different terms. But we go into this transit state. That we are there when? Until Olam Haba. What is Olam Haba? Olam Haba, he says, uh, to quote uh, Belunda Carlisle, heaven is a place on earth. So heaven is a place on earth. What is the ultimate goal? Is that we will come back to this world, refined spiritual beings that will be in a much loftier state. And that's where it's all going to happen. That is the end game. That we will come and now the physical bodies will, will, will change <coughs> and we will now no longer need the physical nourishment that we had in our first life, but in the second existence will be much more, um, much more spiritual. So the Ramban um, here explains the whole concept of resurrection of the dead and the messianic era is all going to be coming back. So, so according to the Rambam, the first opinion, there's a, there's a linear trajectory. We come in this world, we die, we go to Olam Abba. According to the Ramban, it's no, we in this world, we die, and then we come back to this world, but this the world that we'll come back to, whenever it is, will be a much higher, um, uh, much more spiritual existence. It says, this is the opinion of Nachmanis, Rav Meir, Levi, and other modern writers who follow them. Okay, so, so those are the two um, key philosophical positions um, within Jewish um, ideas about the concept of Olam Abba. But, it, it can be um, broken down into a lot of different, not so much the um, what do they believe, but why do they believe that. So since we don't have real, they're both operating, everyone's using the same sources. It's not the Rambam had uh, Talmudic materials that the Rambam did not have access to, and that's why he came to his conclusion. But rather, how the two of them um, philosophically looked at the world um, led them to their various conclusions. So I just want to share with you a few ideas over here, which will, um, so let me just get rid of all of these, um, <coughs> which will just share, um, three, I think I've got three or four different points as to the various differences between how they, um, they, they look at the world. So first and foremost, and this is something that exists till this very day within the Jewish world. Number one is, how do you read Talmudic passages? Or how do we read Torah passages? Do we read them literally? That everything it says, if that's what it says in the Talmud, then that's what it means? Or can we be figurative? That we can say, listen, I know that's what it looks like it says, but it's not really what it means. Now, this exists all over the Talmud. Every time you're going to have a debate between science and Torah, what science and the Talmud, is largely going to be around these Talmudic statements which contradict science. So I'll give you a handful of them. Um, the Talmud says that you are, it is, you're, not, you're ordinarily not allowed to kill an animal on Shabbat. But the Talmud says you can kill a louse. 
can kill last on Shabbat. Why? Because last don't procreate. They are created from the dust of the earth. And it quotes a verse from uh, when Moses uh, does, when Aaron does the plague of, of, of last, he strikes the dust and the dust turns into last. So they say, so the Talmud says, you see, last are not, they do not procreate and therefore there's no prohibition in killing them. So this was, uh, you know, two and a half thousand, two thousand years ago, 1500 years ago that that statement came out. And nowadays we know that that's not true. Last do procreate. So what's so what's what do we say? There's a contradiction here between science and Torah. So if you if you're gonna Rambam would take a much more literal a figurative approach, either saying it's not what they meant, or alternatively he would say um, he would say that uh, that was the information based on what they knew at the time, but now times are different and therefore the halacha changes. Whereas the Ramban says. If that's what they said. That's what it is. So I don't care what science says. That's what. That's the reality. Another example comes and says that the wells and wells in the morning, the water is warmer than in the evening because at night the sun goes under the earth and heats up the water, and so that when you wake up in the morning, the water is warmer. Okay, this was based on a very uh, um, what's the earth centric? Um, the name escapes me. That the earth is the center of the world and the sun revolves around the earth. Now we know that's not the case. So how do you understand it? So the Rambam would say, well, either it's a metaphor, it's not what they really understood, or it's based on the information. Well, Ramban, and again, till this very day, this is a debate in the yeshiva world. Is not, <coughs> if that's what the rabbi said, then that's what the rabbis meant, and that's what it is. And so, so that is the first point of real debate between the Ramban and the Rambam about whether... We have to understand everything that the rabbis wrote and the Torah wrote literally, or there's room to look at things figuratively. Second thing is the changeability of nature. So this is a, a debate that goes throughout the Tanakh, uh, throughout the Torah and throughout the Talmud, about can man's nature change? So when it goes and says that, Olamaba, so the, so the Ramban's starting opinion is the fact that, well, well, we'll come back to this world, and even though we all need to eat and drink and the like now, in the world to come, we won't need to do it because our bodies will be refined more. The Rambam says, no, human beings are physical. Physical things need to eat. So therefore, if the, the person is never going to eat again, it's a sign that he's no longer physical. Therefore, he has to be spiritual. That you cannot con contemplate. Now, the Rambam, if you recall, a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, providence, is the Rambam is this whole idea of nature. It very much buys into the concept that the natural world runs according to the laws of nature. So how do you understand? But Moshe went up to Mount Sinai and he didn't eat and he didn't drink for 40 days and 40 nights. So the Rambam would have to say either that's, you know, that doesn't mean literally that he didn't eat and didn't drink. Or um, you'd have to understand it in a different way. <coughs> but the ability to look at this world and say that the, the nature of your reality can change, it becomes a big debate between the Rambam and the, and the Rambam. Okay, the next... Um, the ne and sorry, let me give you an example. I thought this would be a good example of it. So this is a statement that I, I would like to think we all uh, are very familiar with, and it's a prophecy that comes out of the book of Yeshaya about what will happen in the end of days. And it says that the wolf will lie with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together. The little child will lead them. This wonderful area of this wonderful era of the wolf lying with the lamb. So what's going to happen? So the two commentaries, two main thoughts of commentaries. One is, yeah, the world's going to change. That wolves ordinarily eat lambs. And what's going to happen in a messianic era 
is that, uh, and this everyone would agree in a messianic era, in a, in a time where there's a peaceful existence, what's going to happen? The, the nature of the animals is going to change. That uh, wolves will no longer eat meat, they will become vegetarian, and leopards will lie down with goats, and everyone's going to be happy. That's the one opinion. But the other opinion, which is much more like the Rambam, says, no, this is all metaphor. Who's the wolf? The wolf of the nations of the world. Who's the lamb? The lamb of the Israelites. And it's talking the wolf line with the lamb means that there will be peace between us and them. That's what it comes to signify. It's not coming to signify a changing of nature because according to the Rambam, nature doesn't change. So the third thing, and this is, I suppose, the key to their understanding, is what is human beings? Are we ultimately, so the Rambam says, at the end of the day, we are tr- physical, we are spiritual beings trapped in a physical shell. And it's something that we have to do our best to live with it as it is. But it is non-ideal existence, spiritual existence. Our, our physicality draws us away from Hashem. And in ideal existence, we would have no physical desires whatsoever. But while we are here, we have to utilize what we've got. But in a perfect existence, we would cleave completely to Hashem without any need for physicality. So the body is a shell and an unwanted shell at that, but one that we must use. Whereas the Ramban, who says we're going to come back, says no, no, no. Ideally, the, the body and the soul working in tandem is the ideal. Not only in the world that we live now, where we are trying to do mitzvot, you know, to be able to do physical mitzvot with our souls and our, and our bodies in, in tow, but even in the world to come, is that the ideal is that the physical and the spiritual work together. And so this, this uh, reluctance of the Ramban to accept the Ramban statement that no, no, uh, physicality is non-ideal, but rather, you know, we should embrace it and understand it, not to abuse it, but the, the balance of having a physical and spiritual existence together is the ideal. So in summary, in summary is this, so what happens when we die? So according to the Ramban, we go to Olam Abba. According to the Ramban, we go to Gan Eden and we wait to get to Olam Abba. And when's Olam Abba? And that is going to be in the resurrection of the dead. So it's like, I, I imagine for many of you this evening, this has been a, a different way of looking at the question because for so often we look at the question in such a way and I think most of us think that once you die, you, you go to heaven. And then uh, what about the resurrection of the dead? Don't know. Uh, it's it's beyond, my, beyond my pay grade. And uh, what about the messianic era? Well, that'll happen somewhere in between. So we're trying to make some order within Jewish philosophy. And we've seen two very prominent approaches this evening of the Rambam and the Ramban about how that process works. And I uh, suppose we have to find a point, a way of find, being comfortable with the discomfort of having this idea that there are two very different uh, approaches to how to understand these questions. And... Uh, I hope you found that uh, interesting and enlightening. All right, next week, please, God, we will continue. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be talking about heaven and hell in a sense of reward and punishment, or we're going to go more into the messianic era. But one way or another, we will cover all of these at some point in time. But to that end, I need to go to Marev. So, Laila Tov, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us and look forward to seeing you next time.